Welcome to the Crux Podcast and Sermon of the Week. For more information about the Crux Ministries and Summit Church, please visit us at summitsanmarcos.com. pastor here as well as the youth pastor here and so I've heard thousands of would you rathers in uh, youth trips and vans and stuff so I really appreciate it the eyebrow one I had a friend who actually did that and I discovered something that if you shave off he just thought it'd be cool as like a fashion statement or something so he shaved off one of his eyebrows and uh and then literally his he came to me the next day and said you know I discovered that your eyebrows serve a purpose and he was like my eye is in pain all day because the sweat just comes down off my face and goes right into my eye. Yeah. And so he's like, apparently God knew what he was doing when he gave us eyebrows because my eye is always irritated now that I don't have any. So uh, just saying, that would you rather? That would be very painful to, uh, you know, not have an eyebrow all the time. But yeah, yeah, just so you thought you should know. Joel's fascinated. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. All righty, guys. Hey, um, how many of you guys were here last week? Yeah, yeah, woo. Right. All right. So last week we uh, kind of started a series about being on fire, keeping your heart on fire for the Lord. How many of you have ever done kind of like a, uh, a summer camp or youth camp or college camp or some kind of thing where you felt like super on fire for the Lord afterwards and you're just like, Rah, like on fire for God? Have you ever felt that way? Yeah. And a lot of us have. And then how many of you, you know, like a month later, you're like, Rah. You're like, just not really where you were at camp. How many of you felt that way as well? Yeah, totally. It's pretty normal. It's happened to all of us, right? And so the thing is, uh, and I was telling my youth students this even last night, is that we, we tap into what I believe is normal Christianity at camp. People say you go on this mountain high experience and then you come down. And it's like, wait, 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 no. We were called to live in this presence of God, radical, passionate, going after Jesus. And then we come home and we just get so busy with everything else, we kind of let it fall down and we go back subpar down again. And so I try to encourage my students, no, it's not about like, like, because then people can get bitter toward those experiences and say, well, they're not really real. I have to come back to the real world and all this stuff. And it's like, no, 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 that actually is real, right? That's how life should be on fire, going after God, radical, hungry for the Lord, right? And this is what, coming back down, this is abnormal. That's normal Christianity. Open your Bibles. Every, like, like the, the early church, they lived in this. Like that's normal Christianity. And so, but my heart would say, how do we create a culture where our heart is always on fire, you know, going for Jesus, right? And I understand there's seasons, you go through stuff, but what can we do to at least posture ourselves in a place where my heart is always ready to catch on fire for Jesus, right? How many of you guys ever played with fire growing up? I did all the time. Burnt, burnt a lot of stuff. Yeah, sometimes with Dominic here. No, but there's, there's been multiple times. I remember this one, my first camp here at the church. They were kind of running. They had this huge fire. It was like as big as me. And they were kind of running low on, um, on like, like wood and other things to burn. And so this dude, he had a butane lighter. And he just like was, he looked at it. And he looked at the fire. And he looked at the guys. And he looked at the fire. And then he looked at the lighter. 
And we're like, wait, don't do it. And then he threw it into the fire, <laughs> right? And if you know anything about that, it explodes, right? And so it just absolutely exploded. And every guy was like, ah, right? And shrapnel went everywhere. It was pretty awesome though. And so basically there's this fascination with fire. What do you need to do? And I believe we need to have moments like that where we throw even radical, stupid things, throw them into the fire to get it ignited again, right? And so for me though, when I'm when I was going after this, and I, I've been, I love to study how do you be passionate about God? How do you go for God with everything you got? And i and what I've come across and found and is really it comes down to just a couple things. And last week you talked about one of them being hunger and keeping yourself hungry for the Lord is one of the number one things you have to do to keep your heart on fire for God. And tonight this one's a little different. We're talking about the emotions of God. Everyone say that emotions of God emotions. You see, I believe that the answer is actually really simple, so simple that a lot of times we just bypass it. We move right by it. See, a lot of times we have book after book, teaching after teaching, class after class, group after group, crux after crux, right? And we, we do these things and we think that we are closer to God. And sometimes those things really do bring us closer. But a lot of times we can learn all this stuff about God but never fully encounter him in our hearts. And we think we're good Christians because we've attended a lot of meetings, right? And, but I believe the answer is much more simple than that. How do we keep our hearts on fire? I believe is this, behold his heart's fire for you. Basically, in other words, get to know the emotions of God for you. If you get to know the emotions of God for you, the emotions of God for you are actually the key to keep your heart on fire and passionate. Okay, so how, the question, I'm gonna ask you this question right now and think, how does God feel about you most of the time? And if you think about it, that question I ask you, so how do you say, what do you think God feels about you most of the time? What is the first thing that drops into your heart? When you think about, when I'm on God's mind, what's he thinking about? What, come, what wells up in God's heart whenever, I, whenever Taylor pops in his head? And if you think he's, he says disappointed or angry or sad or you're not, you're not good enough or you're not doing enough or you're, right? If there's, anything else, if there's anything like that, then I can tell you maybe he's concerned about you. Maybe he's just like, oh, that guy just keeps, oh, I love him, but he keeps messing it up, right? If these th- are thoughts or emotions that come to your mind when you think about God's emotions for you, then you have a skewed picture of God. You do not have a, a, a right picture of how God views you. Uh, see, because God, when you come up in his mind, I'm telling you, he's only happy, only engaged over you, only glad, only proud, only filled with love, only captivated. And I can show you verses for all of these things. See, the, the answer to keeping your heart on fire is the emotions of God. And so uh, a group that is on fire for God is a group that really understands his emotions towards them. And studying the emotions of God, I believe, is the, the, one of the greatest calls for the Christian. Even before you are called to memorize the word, I believe you're called to know his heart. And the whole reason you memorize the word is to know his heart. That's the whole point. The whole reason we go to church is to know his heart. The reason we pray is to connect with his heart. The reason we worship is to connect with his heart. It all points to the same thing of the heart of God. So I believe before we are responsible to our, our spouses one day, but before we're responsible to our kids, before we're responsible to our job, the thing we're responsible to do is to keep our hearts connected to God's heart. 
And the way you do that is by knowing his emotions for you. And, I, and I'm going to kind of develop it. I'm, gonna, I'm sorry. I'm going to sound like a, like a hammer just beating the, the same nail a bunch of times. Because we got to drill this into our hearts. And so I believe that the greatest thing you could ever study is not theology. It's not hermeneutics or apologetics or the end times or Hebrew or Greek. It's becoming a student of the heart of God. What makes his heart move? And so I'm going to try to take this very literally emotional concept, <laughs> right? And I'm going to try to kind of break it down, okay? How do we get say our heart on fire? So the one is this, behold the emotions of God. So in other words, behold means like focus, look at, like hold it, right? And so 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says this. It says, and we all with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is, is the Spirit. So beholding the glory of the Lord, we're being transformed into the same image. You become what you behold. And so he's saying, as we behold the glory of God, we get transformed. When you look to God, when that's why worship's so important. It actually changes you because as you behold him, it changes your heart. You get transformed by worshiping him. It's actually selfless for God to say you need to worship him because he knows it's going to transform your life, right? And so you are being transformed into what you are beholding, okay? And he said this, he said the glory of the Lord. So then my question is like, okay, well then what's, what's the glory of the Lord, right? If he says, I look at the glory of God and it's going to transform you just beholding it, well then I'm like, okay, well then what's the glory of God, right? And so Moses, he asked for God's glory. How many of you guys know who Moses is? He's the guy in Prince of Egypt, the greatest cartoon movie ever created, right? And so he, he's the one who split the sea and the plagues, and I mean, this dude saw the glory of God, if you think about it, right? This guy, he sees the plagues happen crazy, just just crazy junk, right, happens, right? I hope I can see that. I hope there's like a heavenly Netflix I get to watch one day and just be like, show me the Moses thing. That was crazy, right? And so basically, he like does all these things, splits the Red Sea. There's literally a pillar of fire at night that keeps them warm and guides them. I mean, come on, you're sitting there. It's hard not to believe God when there's a pillar of fire just coming out of the sky, right? And then at the daytime, it changes into a, a, a pillar of, or like a cloud of, that, fall, that they follow and keeps them cold. It's like heat in the night in the desert and air conditioning in the day, right? It's amazing, right? And so basically, this guy saw the hand of God. This guy saw the power of God. If there's anyone in the Bible who has seen the glory of God, you would think it's him, right? And yet he has the crazy thing to say, no, but God, this is after all that. He says, please show me your glory. And I think, wait, what? What was all that, <laughs> right? What was all that tells me that the power of God, the hand of God, isn't always the same as the glory of God. That there's a deeper level, deeper than the power, deeper than the, God's hand, that is his actual glory. So Moses saw all of that and said, no, but I still need to see your glory. He says this. We're looking in Exodus, okay? He says, then Moses said, please show me your glory. And God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. That word goodness, it literally means this. It means the best part of myself. And it means gladness and joy and all that he is. So he basically says, you know what? Okay, you, you asked for my glory. I'm actually going to show you the best part of me, my gladness, my joy, who I am. It says, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you, for I will be gracious to who I will be gracious. That word grace, um, it means his favor, his pity, his consideration. 
Okay, and it says, and I will show compassion and loving kindness on whom I will show compassion. That word compassion, it's this word that means to love deeply, to love tenderly. It's the first time in the Bible this word for love is used. The first time this word is used and it's tied to his glory. So it's crazy as Moses says, show me your glory. And he says, okay, I'm going to show you my gladness, my joy, my consideration, my pity, my love, my deep, tender affection. These are emotions. These are the emotional heart of God. So Moses says, I've seen your power, but I want to see your glory. And he says, okay, I'll show you my heart. I'll show you my emotions. I'll show you how I feel. And I'll let that all pass before you. That means God's definition of the greatest part of his own glory is this, his compassion, his goodness, his joy, his tender love, his affection towards you. That's wild. So Moses says, show me this, and he reveals his heart. The emotions of God are the best side of God. The greatest glory of God is found in his emotions for you. The emotions of God are the door to the glory of God. And Moses comes down and his face is glowing. You know, he walks down the mountain and everyone's like, oh, Moses, oh, right? And they, they like have to put a veil over his face because his face is shining because he's becoming what he beheld, like that verse said. He beheld the glory of God and now it's stuck on his face, right? And so he has to put a veil over it. And that's why it says, now we with unveiled faces, right, can see him. Moses had to veil his face after seeing it. And so you become what you behold. The greatest dimension of God's glory is his emotional life, his heart, the best of who he is. This is how you ignite your heart on passion. Like Moses, he was ignited, right? Can you imagine, he, I mean, how do you talk about literally going on a summer camp and then coming down from the mountain, right? Moses came down literally from the mountain, but the glory didn't leave him right? Because he, it transformed him. And so to pursue the glory of God in your life means to pursue the emotions of God for your life. Knowing the heart of God is the number one attribute, I think, uh, that he is looking for, for those who seek him, for those who go after him, to know how he feels, to read his emotions, to know what he's looking for. It's kind of like a close friend, right? Um, this actually even happened just a couple hours right before uh, I called Dominic at Crux and I was overwhelmed with some stuff going on in the moment and Dominic literally, I'm on the phone talking to him. This was literally like two hours ago and he could just tell in my voice, he's just like, okay, cool, cool. Hey, are you okay? <laughs> right? Because he, know, he knows the tone of my voice that says there's something wrong. Whereas if I, if I use the same tone with some of you guys, you would have never known right? Because he, he knows me as a friend. He, it's funny, he, he, he kind of makes fun of me where he says, you can compartmentalize like you read about, is what he tells me. Basically, I can, I've had days where I'm having like the worst day of my life, and I still get up and I minister, and no one in the room has any idea, right? Because I just know, I don't minister, like I minister in faith, whether I'm feeling bad or not doesn't change. God works best in weakness. My best sermons are usually when I'm weakest up here, you know? And so, but what's funny is those same days, no one will notice in the room and Dominic will walk and be like, you all right, bro? What's going on? And I'm like, and he's like, you have that, that, that look on your face. I can just, I can tell. There's this one look you get that tells me something's off, something's wrong. He knows that just because I've been friends with him for years. 
He's like, you have this look on your face like you're carrying the weight of the world upon you, you know? And I'm like, I'm just staring off into space. What do you mean? Right? And so he's like, no, but I could tell. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, you're right. You know, that's what it feels like. I'm carrying the weight of the world, right? And so, no, but the point is God is looking for people who at the slightest shift of his face, they're like, what's going on, God? He's looking for people where the, the difference, like he's so close to his heart, you know his emotions, that, that when he says something uh, that you're like, oh, wait, I heard the difference there. God, what's going on? He's looking for people who can read his emotions. And yet we are people, a lot of times we're like, well, God will just tell me if he wants, you know, which he does, he tells us all the time. But we're always so focused on him knowing our emotions. When was the last time we asked him about his emotions? his heart, his feelings, right? God is looking for friends who know how he feels at the slightest shift. Do we know that God that well? What if we sought after his motions? I believe we would encounter the glory and the goodness of God because they're one and the same. And our, our emotions would be transformed to look like his emotions because it says beholding his glory, we're transformed, Right? It's hard to be depressed when all I do is look at the joy of God. It changes me and I become joyful. It's hard to be heavy hearted when I just look at the sovereignty of God of like, oh, you got this figured out. You're good. Right? You're not worried. It makes me like, I guess I'm not worried. Right? It's hard to like be hateful when you look at the forgiving heart of God. It's hard to have self-hatred when you look at God and he's like, I love you. And you're like, I hate me. And he's like, I love you. Like, you do? He's like, I love you. You're like, I kind of like me now, you know? (laughs) I love you. I love me too. Oh my gosh, right? And all I did was I beheld him as he spoke his emotions for me over me, right? And as you behold the emotions of God, it changes your heart. Not his anger, not his wrath. If you just focus on the wrath of God, you're gonna be a very angry person, Right? But no, focus on his love for you, his joy for you, his gladness over you, how proud he is of you, his thoughts over you, his giddiness over you, his compassion. That's what he said when he said, send me a gomer. He said, I'll have compassion on people. I'll have tender affection over people. And he starts to speak of his emotions for people, right? If you want to get passion for God, focus on his passion for you. If you want to get fire for God, focus on his fire for you. This is the starting block. The, The Bible says that we are his bride right? The bridal analogy. For years, I was like, I hate that, right? Because I'm like, I'm a son, I'm not a bride, right? Like, you're not going to see me. I'm like, that's girly. That's weird. You know, maybe, I mean, I'm not wearing a dress. Maybe I'll wear a kilt, like in Braveheart, but it's only so I can have a longer lunch, just kill people, right? That's like, like I'm like, I can't, I can't, I, I don't want this girly analogy. And God told me to study the bride of Christ. And, I, and he called me the bride. I'm like, oh, I hate that. But then when you start to study, you start to realize, oh my gosh, this is how he feels about me. You know, like what, what groom gets giddy and all like, oh, think about all his bride's flaws. You want to mess up your relationship? Just focus and behold all of her flaws all the time. That's going to doom your relationship, right? And what groom does that? She's coming down the aisle and he's just like, oh man, she's so bad at this. She's so bad at this. This part of her is so annoying. This part. No, that doesn't make sense. But we think that's how God views us. And he calls us his bride. And he wants a successful relationship with you, right? So he's not sitting there focusing on all your flaws. He knows, I'm sure. If you're getting married to someone, you should, you should know their flaws by now. Like, 
you, you know, like you should know some of their flaws at least, you know, like if they don't have one flaw and you're ready to marry them, it's like, I don't know if you've seen a person yet, like, because they're human, you know, so they have flaws, right? But to focus on them, no, 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 no. Those, you're like, yeah, I know they have flaws. Sure, they're bad at this. But you get giddy over the fact your heart comes alive thinking about all the beautiful things about them. Your heart comes alive thinking about, oh, but they're so beautiful. Oh, but they're so amazing at this. Oh, but they're so good, but they're so funny, but they're so, you know, whatever. And you have a lot, we have a long, long list, right? Sure, they got flaws, but I don't even care about those. They look at all this, right? God calls you his bride. He gets giddy thinking about the good parts of you, the best parts of you. He's like, I know their flaws, don't worry about it. They'll work themselves out. And the covenant of our marriage of Christianity will work it out, right? I, but I've chosen, I've chosen them. What bride comes alive when her groom just tells her all the things that she needs to fix? Right? Women, would that be attractive? Be honest. If, would that be attractive? Right? Yeah, thank you. We got one honest woman in the room, right? Like, like if you're with a guy and all he did was like, I know, but can we talk about how you messed up again today? Oh, I know, but like, you're like, hi, honey. And you're like, oh, I'm not angry. I'm just like disappointed like you. You just, you did it again. You messed up again. You'd be like, this is a semi-abusive relationship, right? <laughs> like, maybe just fully abusive. I don't know, right? And yet we think that's how God treats his bride. Right? We go, we say, dear Jesus, and we think he's like, oh, you messed up again? Right? We're like, hey, God, I'm here to talk to you about my sin again. I messed up again, right? And we make 99% of our conversation about our flaws towards him. And I'm sorry. And he's like, oh, man, it'd be so annoying if your bride only talked to you when she messed up or was asking for something. You're like, that is not a marriage, right? There's a reason he uses the word bride. Because he's not focusing on all that stuff. Yes, you have moments you talk about your flaws. Absolutely. He's like, all right, we need to talk. That was messed up. Let's talk about it. Like he does that with us, right? But that's like 1% of it. The rest of your conversation with God should be focused on your love with him. How much he adores you. How much he like uh, just loves everything about you. You should stop and let yourself get giddy with God about how he feels about you. Sometimes in relationship people were afraid to like get giddy because it's vulnerable, you know, to like show that I'm like really excited about something, you know, and we're like, oh, don't get too excited because then it'll be taken away from me, you know, right? And we try to show that it's, you know, I'm speaking truth here. This is how we do it. But we think that is how it is with God, and it's not. Let yourself be vulnerable with God and get giddy about how much he feels about you, how much he loves about you. It, it's not weakness. It'll create a strength within you. When you, the bride of Christ, study his overwhelming love and his emotions for you, it will ignite your heart and your passion on fire for him. It's hard to be abandoned towards somebody when your guard is up towards them. It's hard to be abandoned towards someone you think is angry at you. It's hard to be abandoned towards someone you think is frustrated with you, right? But we do this with God. We think he's mostly angry with us. And it's not true. David is arguably the most famous person in the Bible, right? People know David. Even non-Christians know David, right? Old Testament man, he really lives with like a New Testament understanding. Even the Jews, they love him, right? They hate Paul, right? But they love David, right? David is known around the world. And Jesus actually calls himself the son of David. That's crazy. So why David? 
Well, Acts tells us, Acts 13, 22, it says, God removed Saul and replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, I found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. And he'll do everything I want him to do. The word David, his name literally means beloved. He's just the beloved one. That's his identity. I'm loved, right? David had God's heart. This is what was different about him. That word heart, it means your inner man, your will. Yeah, it means, it literally means like the seat of your emotions. So David had the emotions of God. And God was like, this guy understands my emotions. He's the one I want to be king. He understands my heart. He understands my personality. He's the friend I'm looking for. David was like, obviously seemed like God's favorite right? And so, but why? David, in Psalms 14, he gets it. He writes, the Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there's any who understand, who seek after God. David's like, he just, God just wants his emotions to be known. He just wants to see if anyone will seek him and seek his heart. And David writes this. He writes, make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your path. He's like, God, I want to know your ways. I want to know your heart. I want to know you. This is what was so different about David. David messed up. Like he dude, the bro messed up real bad. Like he sinned, he murdered, he committed adultery, he lied, he cheated. He, he like, he really messed up, right? And yet there's some kind of a weird, we look back on him and God has like this divine filter where he's like, yeah, but let's not talk about any of his flaws. David, a man after my own heart. You're like, you mean the murderer, the adulterer? He's like, a man after my own heart right you're like wait no that isn't because there's a filter over his bride david right and he's just like yeah i know i know he really messed up but he got my heart right solomon never messed up to the degree david did but his heart went cold and god literally said you know solomon i want to rip the kingdom from you but for the sake of your father david i won't right and because solomon had all the wisdom but he didn't have the heart David definitely needed some more wisdom. He really messed up, right? But he had God's heart. And God said, this man gets it. Even when David had whole seasons of messing up and not pursuing, God still called him a man over his own heart. This means even when you're not perfect, even when you mess up, even when you're in a whole season of rebellion against the Lord, he can still be like, nah, that's gonna get filtered out. Man after my own heart, <laughs> right? Uh, Mike Bickle, I love this guy. He says this, he says, we often think that if our genuine intentions don't immediately come into full fruition, they're worthless. Religious tradition has taught us that only mature love for God is real love. It says when our love is immature, it's false and hypocritical. And it even blames young believers for messing up. But sincere love of any maturity is real in God's eyes. God did not view David as a hypocrite while David's love was weak and immature, and he doesn't see us as hypocrites either. Just because our love for him is immature doesn't mean it's not real. Just because it's weak doesn't mean it's not real, right? A young couple in love and a 50, they've been together 50 years, very different maturity in love, but the love is still real. Does that make sense? And God knows the difference. He can see your heart, that the love is still real. David had this unrelenting passion to search and to understand the emotions of God. And this was the factor that set him apart. 
not his theology, not his perfect holiness, not all of his actions, but his emotions for God. So this, uh, Mike Bickle wrote again, he wrote that you will go after the fullness of God's heart with astonishing energy as you are motivated from within by this revelation of his affections and his desires for you. But you must intentionally pursue the revelation of God's heart and emotions to get the benefits. This is not passive. It's an aggressive hunt that requires as much energy and mental focus as an Olympic event. You have to make this your focus to keep the emotions of God in front of you, for you. So I'm just going to give you a practical one. Are you guys doing okay? You guys taking it in? You're kind of quiet. You taking it in? You guys all right? Okay. We're going to do this for a few more minutes, and then we're going to shift into something else for the night, okay? So practically, I hope I nailed it into you. You have to go after the heart of God above all else. This is how your heart stays alive, is you have to focus on his heart for you. If you try to do everything, Peter was like, God, I can do all this for you, and he flopped and failed right? <laughs> right. When you're focused on what you can do for God, you're going to flop and fail. When you focus on everything he's done for you, then you're going you're gonna to do well, right? Okay, so, but a practical, the main practical I want to go after is you have to speak and you have to pray his emotions for you back to him. That sounds really weird, but you have to tell God his emotions for you. It doesn't change God, it changes you. When you, okay, and I'm going to break this down. I'm going to show you. Each day, you have to speak his affirmation over your life. Remind yourself about how he feels about you. And it's fresh wood on the fire each day. Right? David wrote this. I want to show you. the David, the guy with his heart, this is what he wrote. This is how we know. So it says, he says this. He's talking to God. He says, remember your mercy, Lord. So he's telling God, God, you're, you're merciful. Remember your mercy. Right? And then he says, Lord, your steadfast love. Right? And he's talking about for himself this whole time, right? He's like, for, for they have been from old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgression. So he's going before God and he's like, Lord, remember how merciful you are to me. Lord, remember how loving you are to me. No, don't, don't remember my sins, God. Like, don't, don't think about that, <laughs> right? And he's just very, he literally tells God, God, don't remember my sins anymore. Remember how you feel love towards me, <laughs> right? And he's telling God his emotions for him back to him, right? And then he says, he says, according to your steadfast love, remember me because you're good to me, right? And he's telling God, just as a father has compassion on his kids, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. He's just going, and I've seen this. Uh, I get to hang out. I have an honor of hanging out with Dominic and Emily all the time because they're two of my best friends. And uh, they're probably the closest friends in my life that are married that I get to see kind of interact as a married couple. And I've seen times where Dominic has just foot and mouth said something totally offensive, right? And Emily's, it's happened more than once, you know? And, and, and Emily, and, and, and Emily, Emily is like, Dominic, right? And I've seen him literally look at her and be like, you love me so much, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> right? And he tells her about her love for him. And he's like, I'm the cutest to you, aren't I? You know, like, and he says some kind of a quirky, like, don't you love me, you know? And it's funny, though, because rather than being mad, she goes like, oh, I love you, you know? Like, and she goes from like, what the heck, Dom, to like, I love you, you know? And he reminded her of her love for him. 
and totally somehow got out of the offensive thing he said, right? And so and it's, it's like a God-given strategy, I think, right? Because this is what he says to do to him. It reminds her of her feelings for him. And then they have this cute moment of, oh, we love each other. And I'm just like, wow, how did that just, how did that just happen, right? And so, but this is what you have to do with God, right? God, I'm sorry about my sin, but I know you love me so much. You love me. And you have to speak out, you're proud of me, God. You're excited for me. You have hope for me. Oh God, you, you feel amazing about me. God, you, and you just tell him. And what it does is it's you putting it in front of you. You're beholding his emotions for you. And it starts to transform your heart to fit his heart. It's hard to be depressed when you're literally speaking out, God, you're so happy about my life. It's hard to be depressed when you're like, God, you just, you think about my life and you're like giddy. You love me so much, right? It changes how you feel. Tell tell him, tell him how you feel, but then speak out how he feels over you. I promise it's gonna change your life. You love him because he first loved you. So when you don't feel love and you feel rejected, speak his love for you out loud and watch how it changes you. You're passionate because he was first passionate about you. If you don't feel passionate, stop and say, God, you're so passionate about me. And your heart will start to come alive with passion. Joy, whatever, name the emotion you want in your heart. If you speak that emotion of God over you and you read those verses over you and you get it over you, it'll change and ignite your heart in the same area. Because what you behold, you become. Thank you, God. You will never enjoy more than God enjoys you. He, yeah. When you focus on how much you enjoy him, or how much he enjoys you, you're going to start enjoying him. If you want to have more enjoyment with God, look at how much he enjoys. He wants to enjoy you enjoying him enjoying you. right but it starts with he enjoyed you first and he loves being around you first thank you lord so that there's a lot more but we're going to transition um and we'll just make a part two for next week or, or whenever but the main thing i was wanting to drill home tonight is that if you want to keep your heart alive if you want to keep your heart passionate focus on his emotions for you because it is the glory of god Before you study Hebrew or Greek or anything else, study his heart. Before you pursue any level of holiness, pursue his heart. And you actually have happy holiness. People who are in love are always holier than people who are just trying to be disciplined. Right? If if, if you have to get up early for work as a discipline or you'll get in trouble, you're like, oh, I'm so tired. Right? But if you have to get up early to meet that person you're in love with because they're in town for one day, you're like, I'm up. (laughs) right? You are far more disciplined than the person who is going to work. Love will always make you more disciplined than work. You will become holier if you focus on his emotions for you, and it'll be easier, and you'll be in love. So, Father, I ask that we would be a people whose hearts are burning with passion because we realize about your passion for us. I ask that we would be a people who we behold your glory and it transforms us. And you say to Moses that your glory is your feelings towards us, your emotions towards us. 
And so, God, we ask that we would behold your emotions and would change ours, God. Even for the guys in here who are, or, or girls who are just like, you know, I'm not very emotional. God, I ask that they would behold your emotions for them and it would change their hearts. God, I ask that. I see calluses um, on people's hearts. And I see in, in, in Ezekiel, he says that I take hearts of stone and I turn them into hearts of flesh. And if that's you, every eye is closed in the room right now. And, and I just want you to surrender right now. And if you say, that's me, I have a heart of stone. As, as, as he's been talking, my heart has been like, oh man, I need this, but I don't even know where to start. And I feel stony in my heart. The first, the first step is just, just admit it and give your heart to him and say, God, give me your emotions and start focusing on his for you. And so, I mean, if that's you, just, just put out your hands right now before you. Just hold them out in front of you right now. And I want you to ask God, because remember, you, you and your, your love for him, it doesn't change your heart as much as his love for you does. You can only love him because he first loved you. So right now, with your hands out, just say, God, and just invite him. Say, show me your emotions for me. Show me your love for me. Overwhelm me with your emotions for me. Holy Spirit, would you come right now? Overwhelm them with your emotions for them. Touch them with your heart for them. That you enjoy them. That you're captivated by them. One glance of their eye and your heart is captured. God, I ask that they would be giddy about your love for them. I ask that they would let their guards down and they'd worship God who enjoys them. Would you move in their heart? Wow, it's not about you doing anything. It's about you seeing how he feels for you. Would they see right now, God, how you feel about them? Would they see how you feel about them? That you're not mad. It says his anger lasts for a moment. A brief moment. 99.999999% of the time he's overjoyed over you. Thank you, Lord. He's not angry or mad. He's not disappointed. He's never, he never has felt that about you even when your love for him is immature, even when you keep messing up, he knows it's still real love. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. We adore you because you adore us. We love you because you first loved us. And God, tonight we commit ourselves as, as crux as a family here, but mainly as Christians, we commit ourselves to this is our number one pursuit. Our number one commitment is becoming students of your love. Just like husbands should become students of their wife's emotions. If I know, I know, oh, I know when she makes that look, this is what she's feeling. Like I've studied her, I know. We, we commit to becoming students of your heart. Before we become students of theologies and all this stuff. 
We want to become students of your heart and your emotions. Keep our hearts burning, God. We love you. We adore you. And I ask that during this series, God, that you would ignite our hearts on fire again and that you would keep them burning for you. Wow. Yeah, God told me today, I was just that, if you want to keep your heart on fire, you have to realize how on fire his heart is for you. Fiery ones realize God has a fiery heart for them. And his fire ignites yours. So we thank you, Lord. We bless them. We thank you for this family. We just say tonight, we commit it to you. Here's my heart ignited on fire. Keep my emotions alive for you, God. Keep me burning. We love you, Lord. In your name. Amen. It's going to be a good series, guys. So what we're going to do the next couple weeks, we're just going to go out because I believe if you study the emotions of God, it ignites those in you. So these next weeks, as we're doing the series about being on fire, I'm just going to, we're just going to go after different emotions of God for you and how that changes you, ignites you, and changes your life. All right. Thank you for listening to the Crux Podcast Sermon of the Week. Be sure to visit SummitSanMarcos.com for other exciting content from Summit Church.